Good morning. Um, If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to today's scripture reading. It comes from Acts 5, verses 12 through 42, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. But the high priest rose up, And all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to preach and teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what, was, what would come of this. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force. They were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they sat them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to those things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamil, a teacher of the law held in high honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do to these men. For before these days... Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan 
or this undertaking is of men, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is God's holy word. They did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. The account ends with those words, despite increasing threats. We're going through the book of Acts, and we see that the threats, the danger, the personal danger to the apostles and to the first Christians in Jerusalem, the danger is increasing. So despite increasing threats, the apostles continue to teach and to preach about Jesus. Have you, ender, have you ever wondered why Christianity is so focused on proclamation, like preaching, teaching, the idea of trying to persuade somebody that what you believe and how you worship is worth their time and effort to to listen and to understand. Maybe you're new to Christianity or not quite a Christian yet, or maybe you've always wondered, why why is the idea of preaching and and, and teaching uh, so central to Christian faith? Uh, to to the the habits of the faith community in Christianity. Why? Why focus on preaching and teaching? Especially when we live in a society uh, that considers it taboo to share directly and personally with another person about your strong beliefs, your faith. In our culture now, uh, it's a no-no to talk personally to another human being about what you believe passionately in hopes that they will change their mind and agree with you. We're not supposed to, we're not supposed to talk that way in our culture. Uh, but the early church did. Uh, the early Christians did talk that way. And as you read the New Testament, that very much is the focus Almost 25% of the content in the book of Acts is sermons. Sermons, public speeches, a quarter of it. And it's a historical, it's a, it's a, it's a history. And yet a quarter of it is focused on speeches and sermons by the people in the story. Now the speakers were not trying uh, to change the world for their own selfish gain. Uh, When you look at the apostles and their lives, the people who are doing the teaching and doing the preaching throughout the book of Acts, we're not looking at a bunch of rising demagogues or uh, tyrants in training. Uh, That's not what we see. These are mostly men of humble origin who ended up dying for what they were talking about. There was very little, there was little in it for them socially, politically. Monetarily, almost nothing in it for them. They weren't trying to, uh, uh, to do a cultural power play and, and, and dominate the society in which they live. They all, most of them died or suffered or were imprisoned for what they were talking about. Their reputation, their safety, their freedom, their very lives. They gave most of it up. 
Christianity is not primarily about rituals and observances. It's, it's, and here's the reason why the focus is on preaching and teaching in, in Christianity. Because Christianity is primarily about a message. Not behavior, not rituals. Christianity is primarily about a message. And the message needs to be emphasized. And that's why teaching and preaching are so central to the book of Acts. The Christian message is worth proclaiming at all costs. I'm going to unfold what that means. Now, the early church was faithful to the message. You heard uh, Taylor earlier talk about the gospel, God's truth. That's really what the message is. And the early church was faithful to it. The scene in Acts chapter 5 is almost, it's kind of comical to me. It, It kind of reminds me of a wild goose chase or, or a dramatic farce when, when you watch a play that's a comedy. Uh, you have the apostles. Amazing things are happening in the temple courts in Jerusalem because of what God is doing through the apostles. And we, we hear in verse 14 by Luke that more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. They're growing by the thousands, uh, and they're still very young. Uh, as an organization, uh, they have favor with the community. The community, despite what the religious leadership has to say, the community respects what's going on in the early church. And then it tells us that the priests, because they were jealous, they were, they were the priests are the religious leaders of Israel, and they're jealous because thousands of Jews are flocking to the apostles, these unlearned, unsophisticated untrained fishermen and tax collectors. And the, and the people of Israel are flocking to these guys for healing, for truth, for wisdom, for counsel, for understanding, for hope, and not to who should have been the spiritual shepherds of Israel. And so they're, they're, they're so jealous. And, and they just decide, if you want to talk about uh, despotism, Here it is, because they just decide in jealousy to arrest the apostles. We don't like what they're doing. (laughs) We'll just arrest them. Um, So they arrest them, uh, but miraculously, the apostles are freed. And now you have these these befuddled priests and, and Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the high priestly family. They all made up the Sanhedrin. It was like the religious senate for the Jews in, in, in Judea, and you have them all in befuddlement, just kind of scratching their heads. Where, where in the world did they go? And then they find out, oh, they're back in the temple preaching and teaching about Jesus, and you just told them not to. So they, they go back to the temple, and they drag all the apostles back in to the court, and they say, didn't we tell you to stop preaching in the name of Jesus? It just seems like a wild goose chase. And the apostles reply, And they say in verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. This is conscientious objection. This is civil disobedience, respectfully saying, we will honor you as our leaders unless honoring you means dishonoring God. So they say, we we have to obey God. But now watch what they say. Listen to the content of their reply. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior 
to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Here's one of many sermons that Luke records. It's a very short one. Scholars believe that as as you read these sermons in the book of Acts, uh, you're not getting every word. You're you're getting a summary or or most of uh, what the apostles were actually teaching, what Jesus was actually teaching. Because this goes on for years, and and we only have several chapters of it right here. Uh, So this is one of the shorter sermons in the book of Acts. Nonetheless, it is a sermon. It, it, It is a message. It is the message communicated through the apostles. Just one, but the content is consistent with every other one. What Luke tends to do, if you read through the book of Acts, is he'll, he'll put a sermon right in the middle of a historical account. You saw it in Acts chapter 2. Something happens in Pentecost, and then right in the middle of the historical account, you have Peter's sermon, okay, like a sandwich. And here you see it again, right in the middle of this account, you hear Peter and the apostles' words. And their words are very consistent with everything that the apostles have been teaching and preaching all along and everything that they'll be preaching and teaching for the rest of the book of Acts. And here's what you see. If you look at these words, if you look at what they say, you see the death of Jesus Christ. You see the resurrection of Jesus in their words. You see the exaltation of Jesus. The idea that Jesus is, is the most powerful, the highest name in all the universe. Jesus was crucified. Jesus rose from the dead. And now Jesus is exalted to the highest place in the universe. You see that concept. And here it is again. You also see the idea of repentance and forgiveness. There it is. You see the idea of faith. Those who are willing to trust in this Jesus that offers forgiveness with God reconciliation with God. What else do you see? You see Trinitarian language in there. The God of our fathers. The name Jesus. The Holy Spirit. There it is right there. But also notice that the apostles call themselves witnesses of everything that happened with Jesus. Not just witnesses of what happened, but witnesses to what happened. Do you see the difference? They didn't simply observe what Jesus said and did. They are now witnessing to what Jesus said and did. They not only observe it, but now they are promoting the story. They're spreading the news. They're witnesses to these things, they say. So the preaching, the proclamation of these things is what brings the message to people. That's how salvation is understood. That's how faith comes to individuals as the message is witnessed to. The Apostle Paul would put it this way in his letter to the Roman church in Romans chapter 10, and I'm taking this out of context, but you'll see what I'm saying. Paul said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? You see his logic? He went on to say, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. 
many, many, many centuries later, a bunch of British guys called the Westminster Divines got together in Westminster Abbey, and this is what they said about the importance of proclaiming this message. The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. Translate that into modern American English. They're saying it's the preaching of the word. It's the communication of the word of God that convinces people they're in rebellion against God and need to be reconciled to him. You don't just figure that out by looking at the stars as magnificent as they are or by going to visit Yosemite as beautiful as it is or by looking at the complexity of the human eye as amazing that is. You come to realize that you are out of God's good favor and must be reconciled to him through the death and resurrection of his son as the message is shared with you. As someone witnesses to the message lovingly persuasively with you. In Christianity, it's not the rituals. It's not the habitual observances. It's the message that saves. It's always the message that brings salvation by faith to the ones who want to receive it. Okay. And you see the apostles here, though they're threatened, though they're being imprisoned, Though they're being beaten, it actually now says. So, so now it's getting physical, isn't it? It started with threats. Now more threats. Now it's physical. Now they're being beaten. We're going to see where it leads in the next several chapters. Very soon, it's going to get even worse. And yet they stuck to the message. Now, as a Christian community, our faithfulness to the same message is second to none as a priority for a church or for an individual believer, if you're following Christ, our faithfulness to this same message as witnesses to it is a priority second to none. The early church spoke and lived by the message holistically. It wasn't just a Sunday thing for them. It wasn't just something they say, well, I'm affiliated with this denomination or with this religion or with this church. No, it was deeper than that. Look at what they began to do. It says in verse 42, every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Uh, They hadn't yet broken out of the temple culture. Uh, the first Christians were, were Jews. Uh, and now Christianity is about to expand quite dramatically out of Jerusalem across racial, ethnic, linguistic lines. Right now, it's still contained within Jerusalem amongst the temple area. Okay? But it says that every day they met publicly in the temple together. It also says that they met from house to house. And they didn't stop preaching and teaching that the Christ, the Messiah, the one everyone's been waiting for, is Jesus. What we see there is a daily, a daily commitment to understanding the message. A public commitment to understanding the message that involved the whole community, but also a private commitment to understanding the message from house to house, from family to family, relationship to relationship, so that the truth of the message permeated their daily lives, their public life as a community, and their private lives in their homes. Holistic, 
holistic understanding of this message that the apostles are willing to be imprisoned and beaten for. The Westminster divines would also say this about God's word. The word may become effectual to salvation. Uh, I'm sorry. That the word may become effectual to salvation, we must attend to it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Receive it with faith and love. Lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. And there you see it. The Apostle Paul put it this way again to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 12. He said, don't be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. Don't be conformed to the society in which you live. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The message renews your mind. That's why Christianity is about a message and it has to be proclaimed. It has to be shared. It has to be lovingly but persuasively communicated. Because what God is interested in is the transformation of your being. The way you think, your priorities, how you make decisions, what you do with your life. How you see yourself in the world, how you see other people. How you see your creator. Don't be conformed to the way the world does everything and how the world thinks and what the world says. Be transformed. The Greek word is metamorphosis. Literally. The idea of, of allowing the message to permeate every aspect of our lives is that we would go through the process of metamorphosis. To become new people who think differently and thereby live differently. That's what the Spirit of God is trying to accomplish, which is why the message is so important. Embracing the message is embracing transformation. That's what you're doing. When you, when, when you become a Christian when, or when you continue to put faith in Jesus, or if you're thinking about it, what you're really saying is, I'm willing to allow the creator of the universe by his Spirit in me to transform who I am, to make me the person he created me to be. That's what it means when we receive the message that the Bible calls the gospel, the good news. The apostles faced a society bent on conforming them to its priorities. That's what we see with the high priests. No, we're going to bend you to our priorities for our country, for our status, for our well-being. You will conform to us. And the apostles resist that graciously, respectfully, humbly. And they allow the gospel to transform them. And it changed. It changed society. And it's changed me. And it's changing many of you. As we pursue transformation. Rather than conformity. Now I want to ask you a question. What are you conforming to? What or who in the world. Or in your life. Is trying to conform you. To what they want. To what it desires. What do they promise. If you're willing to conform. Or. Uh, how do they threaten you. If you don't conform. What are the consequences. Ask yourself this. Along with that. Do you want to conform. At some level. In some way. We all want to conform to something. We're Americans and we like to think that we're individualists. And we are in many ways. It's bred into us culturally. 
but we're all conformists. From the Bible's perspective, we're all conformists, especially in this way. Maybe we don't have a lot of things in common, but we at least all have this in common according to the Bible. There's an innate desire in us to reject God's words. That is definitely one way I promise you that you are a conformist. That's the pattern. That's the human way to reject what God says, to twist it in some way, to misrepresent it and to make it more palatable to your life and to what you want. Just read Genesis chapter 3, the very first verse, where the serpent enters the perfect garden and says to Eve, did God actually say yada, yada, yada? And the rest is history. Did God actually say, see, we're willing, we're willing to misrepresent God's words to make it fit what we want. We hear what we want God to say, or we don't hear him at all. But the truth really matters. The truth matters. There is objectivity in the world. There is objective truth because only one message saves. This is why the apostles are willing to be beaten again and imprisoned again and again. And they keep going back, doing what Jesus told them to do, despite the threats, despite the beatings. Because they were convinced that there was only one message that was going to make a difference in the world. They were convinced of it. And you'll even see in Peter's life, actually, that he didn't always stick to the message. He deviated from it. He had to be brought back. We all conform. The beautiful thing about the message, about the good news of Christianity, is that even when we're unfaithful to the message, God remains faithful to it. Even when we reject God's words and remain unfaithful to God's words, he is faithful to what he said. He continues in faithfulness. The Old Testament prioritized God's word. The Old Testament regarded God's word, his law, his promises, higher than anything. All the other religions in the ancient Near East, they had hocus pocus. They had smoke and mirrors. They had sex. They had things to look at and to see and to smell and to feel. The Jews had what? They had a box that they couldn't go near. What was in the box? The word of God. They had the word. And they were tempted to be like everybody else that had things to see and touch and feel and taste. But God said, I'm committed to you. Just listen to what I've said and don't forget and trust me. You have to trust me. And you see that in the Old Testament. Your word, the psalmist said, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life according to what? Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. And then this Jesus of Nazareth comes along in the first century and and he says things like, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Who talks like that? Who talks like that? If you abide in me and my words, I'm sorry, 
Jesus went on to say, if, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If my words abide in you, nobody talks this way. And if they do talk this way to you, you say you belong in an institution. For anybody to talk this way or to believe these things about himself, about the very things that were coming out of his mouth, he was either nuts or he was who he said he was. The reason truth matters in Christianity is because truth is a person. Truth is not just an idea or a concept. Have you ever thought of it that way? Ultimately, the truth of the universe is a person. That's, that's why we talk and persuade and, and, and persuade one another and persuade others. That's why the message is central in Christianity because we're ultimately pointing people to a person. A person who offers reconciliation. And some people hear it and want that reconciliation and others hear it and they don't want that reconciliation. And that's God's business and their business. It's not about moral striving. It's not about ritualistic habits passed down from a teacher or from a prophet. Christianity is about a life transformed by a message. It's a message that reveals God's saving actions bound up in this person called Jesus. And when Jesus speaks, we hear God speaking. When Jesus is talking, what he's really saying is that you're hearing the voice of God when you hear me. I'm trying to explain it this way, and some of you have heard me do this before. And it's going to seem unrelated, but it's related, I promise. We'll get back to it. Try and define comedy. What is comedy? What's comedy? I ask people to interact. If you're visiting with us, don't freak out. You don't have to speak. What is comedy? What is humor? Could you define it? How would you define what comedy is? What was that? Something to make you laugh. Okay, comedy makes you laugh. Comedy is personal. A lot of things are personal. But it's personal. Somehow it affects you personally. Okay, good. Right, because you're not going to laugh if it doesn't personally reach you. Right? Good. What else? How would you define comedy? Observations on life. Great comedy is observations on life. Okay, that's true. There has to be a kernel of truth in comedy because we're laughing at something that we recognize. Okay, any other thoughts? What is comedy? It's got to be relatable. Comedy is relatable. Yeah. Or else why would you be laughing? Any, any other ideas? Good. But see how difficult, like, has anyone ever asked you that before? Trying to find what comedy is? Well, I, I, I'm surrounded by comedy all the time. I, how would I explain what comedy is? Okay. Um, you ever see uh, Star Wars? All right, picture Darth Vader. Big, dark, oppressive, domineering. Okay. Now picture Mel Brooks' version of Darth Vader. What You just started laughing. I, I haven't even said anything yet. Picture Mel Brooks' uh, version of Darth Vader, this little short guy with an enormous mask called Dark Helmet. You're, you're, you started, those of you who saw the movie immediately started laughing when I even mentioned Mel Brooks and Darth Vader in the same conversation. 
Did you ever hear what Jerry Seinfeld said about, it, please don't take offense if you walk around in sweatpants and a sweatshirt, right? It's, don't shoot the messenger. Did you ever hear what Jerry Seinfeld said about what you're really communicating to the world when you go out in public in, in, in a full sweatsuit, sweatpants, and a sweatshirt? What you're saying to the world is, I give up. Okay, so, so there it is. We got some Snickers. Okay, so what's happening? We were struggling to identify. You all were right, but none of you nailed what comedy was. I don't know that anyone can. W.C. Fields, I think, came close. But we were all struggling to describe something that we know existed and has an impact on us. But the second you saw something funny, you all started laughing. It's hard to define humor. And yet when something funny happens, you start laughing. You get it. And that's how it is with Jesus. There is a God. He exists. He's created the world we live in. We kind of have a sense about him, but we really don't know him. We really can't with any certainty understand what he's trying to do in the world, why we're here. But when we look at Jesus and when we listen to Jesus, we say, ah, there he is. That's why Christianity exists. Because someone claimed, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. My words, though heaven and earth will pass away, the creation itself, the universe itself, as it degenerates, my words and what I'm communicating will never pass away. That's something you can trust in. That's why Christianity exists, because God gave us Jesus to show us himself so that we can hear his very words, what he's communicating to us. And embracing Jesus happens when the gospel is preached and taught, and persuasively, and lovingly, and respectfully shared. The message is worth proclaiming at all costs. Jesus, it cost Jesus everything to communicate the message. It cost him everything. So, what I'm asking you to consider is be willing, be willing to trust what he said. If you're a Christian, let's together, especially as a church, let's make sure that his message stays our priority, that, that we don't deviate from what's true, right? Because it's a life and death matter for our society and for the people that we know. Maybe for you right in this room right now, it's a life and death matter. So we want to stay focused and on message. I don't think there's any greater thing we can do as a church. There's all these little things we're thinking about and praying about that we want to do, and we have to do all of them, but they're an outpouring. They're the fruits of staying clear with the message and allowing it to change who we are and how we think. The message and keeping, staying faithful to the message is where we begin. Maybe the message is new to you. Well, you're hearing it. Consider what Jesus has to say. Consider it. Stop conforming to this world and to what it wants out of you, to what it wants you to say, what it wants you to believe. Stop conforming to what you want yourself. Let the creator begin to speak into your life. Let him transform you. Let him make you what he in love intended you to be. Be transformed by the words of his son. And then watch him work. He will do amazing things. Let's pray.
Father, I think of the words of Bono, the lead singer of U2, when he said, it's hard to listen while you preach. Uh, Father, I ask as the one that brought uh, this message that you would allow me to continue to listen to you. Father, I ask for all of us that you would give us the faith to stop speaking and listen. What are you saying in the world? What are you saying to us? What are you saying through your son, Jesus? May we hear it. Give us ears to hear. And may we be transformed in his name. Amen.